0: In Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, we are told that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Now in that passage, Jesus conveys to his disciples what's going to be happening to him in Jerusalem. And he says to his disciples that in Jerusalem he's going to be scourged, he's going to be mocked, he's going to be crucified. And we get to Matthew chapter 21, We're going to see Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. and That's where we arrive today, Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. When they had approached Jerusalem and come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle, gentle, And mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and they laid their coats on them and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds were going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now let's put this passage in perspective. When Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he is about five days away from being crucified. So think about this. He's coming into Jerusalem and the people are screaming his praises. Hosanna! This is an incredible experience. This is exciting. They are going crazy about Jesus coming into the capital city. In five days, there will be a sharp turnaround. And the people of the city of Jerusalem will no longer be saying Hosanna but they'll be saying, crucify him. That's amazing to me to think that in five days there'll be that kind of turnaround. I think one of the things that's even more amazing than that is that Jesus Christ knew what was awaiting for him in Jerusalem, and still he went into Jerusalem. He knew exactly what was going to happen to him when he came in. In Matthew chapter 20, we heard him say he's going in to get mocked. He's going to get scourged. He's going to get crucified. And yet Jesus Christ still goes into Jerusalem. And he goes into Jerusalem amidst all these cries, this facade of acceptance. He still goes in. What's even more amazing than that is that He goes into Jerusalem and He's not so self-absorbed in what He's facing that He neglects the people or that He's angry with the people or that He's having a pity party of bitterness towards the people and their fake allegiance. In fact, in the next passage we're going to look at next Sunday, Jesus goes into the temple and He heals the, the people who come to Him. Later in Matthew chapter 23, he laments over Jerusalem and says, I want you to believe in me. When Jesus Christ comes into Jerusalem, he is focused on the people and he genuinely loves these people. He knows what he's going to face when he comes to Jerusalem, he knows what's going to happen. He knows their cries of allegiance now will turn to cries of crucifying. And yet he comes in, and when he comes in, he's not concerned about himself, but he's genuinely loving the people. That is amazing. I mean, that is truly incredible. And what we have here in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, is an introduction into a staggering chain of events. As we walk through the rest of Matthew, we're going to see a record of these final days of Jesus' life. And chapter 21, verses 1 through 11, serves as an introduction to what we're fixing to see unfold. I am thrilled about walking through this last stage of Matthew. And I am confident that God wants to change our lives as we study these final days. And I hope that your heart is willing to hear what God has to say to you today in this introduction. Let's look at the details of this introduction. The first thing that we see here is that Jesus Christ, upon entering into Jerusalem, before he's entering in, he's going to send two of his disciples to this village opposite of Bethphage. And he says to those disciples, you need to go into the village, and immediately when you come into the village, you're going to see a donkey, a mama donkey with its colt. And you need to go and you need to get that donkey and its colt and you need to bring them to me. Now, the first thing you need to recognize is that what Jesus Christ is commanding these two disciples to do is according to some preconceived plan. Jesus is already doing something here that's been planned out. This is not something he's just throwing together. He knows that in this village, there's going to be this donkey immediately when they walk in, and he wants those disciples to get that donkey in its cold and bring it to Jesus. This, Jesus is carrying out a plan here. He's following somebody's instructions. Now, what's really interesting about this is that when the disciples go into this village and they take somebody's donkey, I suspect they're going to stir up something. I mean, think about it. If you were at your house and you're sitting there in your living room, all of a sudden somebody comes in to your house, unannounced, a complete stranger, someone you do not know. They go to where you keep your keys. They pick up your keys to your car. They walk out into your driveway and they get into your car. Are you going to have some questions for them? I suspect you will. Well, that's exactly what's unfolding here. The disciples are walking into a village unannounced. They're walking over to a donkey and it's cold. And they're taking that donkey and they're walking out of the village with it. And Jesus anticipates that. Because he's operating according to a plan. And he says to the disciples, when somebody asks you about what you're doing, because that's what they're going to do, they're going to ask, just like anybody else would ask, what are you doing with my donkey? When they ask that question, you say, the Lord has need of them. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody came into my house, took my keys, went into my driveway, started my car, and I asked them a question, what in the world are you doing? If they said to me, the Lord has need of your car, I'd be saying, the Lord has need of me to call the cops. (laughs) I mean, wouldn't you? And yet the disciples walk in, they take the donkey and the colt, somebody says to them, what are you doing with the donkey? And they say, the Lord has need of them. And apparently, That worked. Because they show up with the donkey and the colt. Now, here's what's really incredible about this that you cannot miss. The reason why that worked is because God the Father is in control of what's happening here. He owns every donkey and every colt. And he knew that the donkey the disciples would go and get would be Long to a man who would respond to those words, the Lord has need of them, with acceptance. Because God is in complete control of what's unfolding. And Jesus is just acting according to plan. What's so incredible about this is that when the disciples carry this out, they actually go and do it. Verse 6 says that it happens exactly like they were told. In the way that Jesus said this would unfold, the disciples experienced and they brought back the donkeys. Everything that's going on here is because the Father has planned it. And Jesus is simply submitting to the plan of the Father. And it's being carried out. And there's something else in this passage that makes that even more abundantly clear. If you notice here in verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. What took place? The disciples going to this village, grabbing these two donkeys and coming back and giving them to Jesus so Jesus could ride into Jerusalem. That whole thing took place to fulfill a prophecy. A prophecy that was given over 500 years before this happened. So hundreds of years before this thing unfolded, this event unfolded, God revealed to His people what His plan was. And now 500 years later, Jesus is sending two disciples to this little village to take this donkey and its colt, bring it to Jesus, so Jesus can ride into Jerusalem on a donkey in the midst of all these cries of Hosanna, specifically to fulfill prophecy. The message is clear. God is in total control. He has a sovereign plan that he's carrying out for Jesus Christ to enter into the capital city upon a donkey and Jesus is submitting in humility to the plan of the Father to enter into Jerusalem, the city in which he will experience the greatest of rejections. God had a plan. And Jesus is following Now notice what the people do. In verse 8, most of the crowd spread their coats in the road and others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. So the people are taking their coats or laying it down in front of Jesus so the donkey walks on these these coats. Those who weren't spreading their coats down, they were cutting branches off, spreading those down. So the entire road is going to be covered for Jesus Christ. Now, We can look back in the Old Testament, we can see in 2 Kings chapter 9, that when Jehu was crowned as king in Israel, one of the things they did immediately was take off their coats and lay their coats down so that Jehu did not have to walk on the ground as a way to honor him as the king of Israel. So what the people here are doing by taking off their coats and cutting branches and laying it down on the ground so that the feet of Jesus and the donkey that he's riding doesn't have to touch the ground is a way to say... We are honoring you as the coming king. So the people are responding to this event unfolding according to the plan of the Father with acclamations and and declarations and actions that display, we believe that you are a king entering his capital city. In addition to what they're actually doing, they are crying out with these words, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, which is the title for the king. And they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's directly from Psalm 118. And that psalm is being used here as an exclamation of excitement and celebration over what God is doing in Israel, namely, in this case, bringing a king into the capital city. And then they close out by saying, Hosanna in the highest. So the people are celebrating the entrance of this expected king, the son of David, and they're crying out words of Hosanna. If you translate the word Hosanna, which here it's just transliterated, if you translate it, what it actually means, the meaning of Hosanna is Lord, save, which is pretty ironic you got all these people surrounding Jesus, some in front, some in back, laying down their coats and branches, this incredible entourage coming in, celebrating the arrival of the Son of David in the capital city, the city of David, and they're crying out, Lord, save us. The problem is, That the people are wanting a salvation that's different than what Jesus is offering. The whole city is stirred up. And the whole city is asking this crowd of people, who is this? What's going on? And they're responding by saying, this is the prophet, Jesus, who is from Nazareth of Galilee. They have affirmed that Jesus Christ is the son of David. They think he is the king coming into the capital city. They believe that he is a prophet who is going to sit on the throne of David in the capital city as the reigning king. They are excited. They're anticipating. They're a little bit confused and maybe somewhat misled in their expectations. But nonetheless, they are incredibly built up over this experience. And here Jesus Christ is coming in. And the problem is that the people in the crowd and the city are looking for a king who would deliver them from the oppression that surrounds them. You see... The Israelites at this point in history are oppressed by the Romans. They're looking for the Savior to come and get them out of their predicament. They want a king to sit on the throne and reign now and rule over the nations. And what's so ironic here is that they're crying out, Lord, save. But because they're looking for a different salvation than the one Jesus is bringing here. They're looking for a different Savior than Jesus is going to be. And they're simply missing the message. It's right before them. Jesus knows what's going to happen when he enters into Jerusalem. He chooses to ride in on a donkey. He chooses to fulfill Zechariah's prophecy. And the people are missing the message. Because Jesus simply isn't the Savior that they want him to be. I suspect that people would be a lot more excited if Jesus was riding in on a white stallion behind a royal chariot. But instead, Jesus Christ is choosing to come into Jerusalem on a donkey. Do you see the contrast? I mean, Jesus is choosing to come into the capital city amidst cries that he is the son of David and is coming in on a donkey. A beast of burden. Notice the phrase there, the beast of burden. That should signal to you and to me as we read this, that Jesus Christ is coming in on the vehicle of the lowest standards. He's demonstrating incredible humility. The cries of the people, son of David, but he's seated seated on a donkey riding into the capital city in humility. It just isn't fitting. It's just incredible contrast. It'd be be very similar to the president of the United States rolling into Abilene in a 2002 Dodge Caravan that's all dented up and has a couple hundred thousand miles on it. Just doesn't fit for a president's entrance. It's the same here. This creates an amazing contrast and yet the people were missing the contrast. should have been asking the question, why, if this is the son of David, if this is the king that's coming to reign over all and rule on the throne of David, why is he coming in like this? They were missing a message that frankly we can't afford to miss. Jesus Christ comes in on this donkey in order to display Humility of a different kind of Messiah. And then Matthew wants to make sure we don't miss this message. And he says this is done to fulfill prophecy. Now let's look at the prophecy together. Let's look over at Zechariah chapter 9. So flip back to Zechariah. That's just a few pages to your left, back in the Old Testament, right at the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 9, and this particular prophecy that Jesus has fulfilled comes from verse 9 in Zechariah chapter 9. Let's read that together. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation humble, and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Matthew identifies this prophecy in Zechariah as having been fulfilled by what Jesus Christ was demonstrating on this donkey riding into Jerusalem, which was clearly a demonstration of humility. And so Matthew pulls this prophecy out of Zechariah and says Jesus Christ has fulfilled it. Now, the context of Zechariah's verse here is a context of not war, a warrior king, but the context of a king bringing peace. Now notice how well that fits into the circumstance that's happening and unfolding there in Jerusalem. Jesus is not entering Jerusalem as a warrior king to sit on a throne as a reigning one. He's entering Jerusalem in order to die on behalf of those of us who have no peace with God. So that we might have peace with God through faith in Christ. Jesus Christ is not coming as a warrior king. He's coming as a king to establish peace. And that's the exact context of what's going on here in Zechariah chapter 9. Now specifically, Matthew is emphasizing something by bringing out this prophecy in the gospel of Matthew. Now notice, keep your finger there in Zechariah. Flip back over to Matthew and notice what we actually have written that's being fulfilled. Verse 5, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Do you notice something that's omitted here? When the prophecy is quoted from Zechariah, there's an omission. Flip back to Zechariah. You can see the omission is the phrase, He is just or righteous and endowed with salvation. So Matthew leaves that phrase out. Whenever you see something changed like this, omitted or left out, you need to to really mark that as a point of emphasis. Matthew is trying to emphasize something here in the fulfillment of this prophecy through what Jesus Christ has done by entering Jerusalem on a donkey. And namely, what he's emphasizing is what he's included. And what he's unveiled to us has been fulfilled through riding in on a donkey, is Jesus Christ's humility. Humble, or gentle, or meek, mounted on a donkey. So this whole picture of Christ riding in a donkey is not only demonstrating through what He did, humility, but by the fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus Christ is demonstrating a particular humility as the Messiah that we ought to be Embracing. As the real king of kings. See Jesus Christ has not come in as a, a reigning warrior. To rule the nations. He's come in as a suffering servant. Humble according to the plan of the father. And he's fulfilled prophecy in the ways come in. So that we might not mistake who he really is. I suspect that we're not a lot different than those in the crowd that were wanting Jesus to be something that he was not being. There are things that we encounter in life, things that we pray for, and God doesn't answer the way we'd like him to, and we begin to wonder, is God really the God that I want him to be? Consistently, again and again in Scripture, we're going to see that Scripture is going to convey to us, God may not be the God you want him to be in this moment, but he's acting according to a plan. And even when things seem difficult, He is still the God you need Him to be. Do not stop trusting Him. Don't stop trusting The People were missing the message. It was being clearly demonstrated, and it was being fulfilled in prophecy. An emphasis on the humility of Jesus Christ as a suffering servant. Now notice what Matthew leaves out. He leaves out the phrase, He is just and endowed with salvation. Why would Matthew leave that out? That word just or righteous is not the reason Jesus Christ is coming to Jerusalem. Jesus Christ is not coming to Jerusalem to display His righteousness. He's coming to Jerusalem to become our sin. That whole idea of being endowed with salvation, that phrase can be understood in Zechariah's writing as an act of God to save the king from some ordeal that he faces. That's what's going on in Zechariah. Matthew leaves that phrase out because when Jesus Christ enters Jerusalem, the Father will not deliver him from what he faces. Jesus Christ will say, if you can take this cup from me, then take it. And God the Father will say, no, I'm not going to deliver you from this cup. You will walk through it. Jesus Christ has come into Jerusalem not to stand in his righteousness, but to become our sin and to offer his righteousness as a gift. And when he will cry out to be spared from this cup, he will not be delivered from the cross. And the reason Jesus Christ enters Jerusalem in this fashion is to point out the reality that Jesus Christ is the King of kings, but he has come as a humble, suffering servant. Isaiah chapter 53 says it like this. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. That's the Messiah That Jesus Christ is. That's the Messiah that these people missed. That's the Messiah we cannot afford to miss. You see, Matthew chapter 21, 1 through 11. Is just an introduction. It's an incredibly important introduction. An introduction without which no one will be saved. It's an introduction we can't afford to miss. You see, unless Jesus Christ enters into Jerusalem as a humble, suffering servant, then no one can be saved. If Jesus Christ enters into Jerusalem as the ruling and reigning king, and he comes in as the warrior, do you know what's going to happen? Everyone is going to be wiped out under the wrath of God. Did you catch that? If we don't have a Messiah that enters into Jerusalem with this introduction as a humble, suffering servant, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no salvation. There is nothing but the fearful expectation of wrath. But we do have this introduction. We have this glorious introduction of Jesus Christ taking up obedience to the plan of the Father, the plan to crush the Son, and He willingly and gladly walks into Jerusalem in humility to be the suffering servant that we might be saved from our sin and all of God's wrath. We have this glorious introduction, and this introduction will lead to a series of confrontations. The religious leaders, as we walk through the rest of Matthew, we're going to see the religious leaders confront Jesus and stand against Him. And we're going to see Jesus' people reject Him. We're going to see the disciples betray Him. We're going to see the Father forsake Him. We're going to see Jesus Christ handed over and tortured. We're going to see Jesus Christ given up to the Gentiles and crucified. And we're going to see Jesus Christ taken outside of Jerusalem and buried in a tomb. But there'll be more. Because before Jesus Christ is crucified... As we walk through the remainder of Matthew, we're going to hear Jesus Christ give some promises. You know what he's going to promise? He's going to promise that he will return. And when he gives the promise that he will return, he's not returning as a humble, suffering servant. He's returning as a glorious king. I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. Matthew 24, 30. Catch what this says here. And we'll get here eventually. But when we get here, it's going to be amazing. Listen to this. Verse 30. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Did you catch that? And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Glory. He will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. They will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the end of the sky to the other. Did you catch what that just said? Jesus Christ promises that he's going to return. But guess what? When he comes as the glorious king, he is not going to be met with shouts of praise from the world. The world is going to be staggering in fear. They're going to be mourning. Because when he returns... Everyone who does not trust him will experience his wrath. But all those who do trust him will experience his grace. This king that is introduced in humility, riding on a donkey, will someday return riding on a horse. And the trumpet will sound, and time will be no more. And he will take all those who have trusted him to spend eternity with him, while everyone else will experience his wrath. Jesus Christ is the glorious King. We just haven't seen it yet. But make no mistake about it. This story is not complete. And someday, Jesus Christ will come again according to the plan of the Father. And in the same way, we see the sovereign, controlling hand of God in this entrance into Jerusalem on a donkey, planned 500 years before it ever happened. We will see the sovereign hand of God unfold His story to the glorious return of Christ. You know what the guarantee for all of this unfolding is? The guarantee for all this happening is found when we will see Jesus Christ rise from the dead. It's in Jesus Christ's resurrection that we know with confidence that everything He has promised will happen just as He said. That is the rest of the story. And if we get that story as we walk through the remainder of Matthew, You know what's going to happen in us? And this is what I'm so excited about. Matthew ends his gospel with this call to make disciples. Because when we get this story, then what we will do while we wait for the glorious return of our king is we will seek to make disciples of those around us because we will know better than anyone else in the entire world We will know that Jesus Christ, the glorious King who will return, that that He can, until He returns, be trusted and known and accepted as Savior. But on the day He returns, that's it. It's over. And so until He returns, what we will do if we get this story is we will faithfully seek to make disciples of everyone around us. If that doesn't characterize our lives, we have not appropriately understood the introduction. We have not got the body of the story. And we certainly don't understand the conclusion. Because we do not want to experience the conclusion of God's story outside of faithful living for Jesus Christ. That is not a place you want to be. Jesus Christ came as a humble servant. So that we might not miss His love. And we might escape His wrath. But the story of God will unfold to a conclusion. And you and I cannot afford to miss this Messiah. And so I implore you, trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And don't mistake me right now to be speaking to those in this room that have never trusted him before. I'm calling for every single one of us to make decisions in this room today to humble ourselves and trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You've got to live that out every single day. What you've done in the past might serve as memories, but you need to be living in the experience of faithfulness in Jesus Christ today. You need to get this story. You need to be making disciples. You need to be submitting your life to the plan of God. Trust Jesus Christ as Savior today. Trust Him. Follow Him. That's the only way to experience the grace of a soon-to-be-reigning King of Kings. Trust in Christ.